You're listening to the Harvest Christian Fellowship Weekend Message Podcast. To learn more about our community, like what we believe and how you can take a next step, visit us online at hcfcornwall.ca or join us for one of our services this weekend, Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 11 here at 847 York Street. Wow, I get to take it from here. <laughs> this is sweet. Just stand there. We're going to wish Pastor Frank Satius um, a happy birthday. He's crested over to 60. I just want to say Pastor Frank. I thought I was going to hit that before you. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. We're going to tape. This is all being taped. And if you're watching, if you're watching, I know, I know, sweetheart. If you're watching online today, this is a secret surprise uh, party for Pastor Frank Satius. Um, so please don't post anything if you're watching this today and you're all excited about that. Um, they're going to be showing a, a video segment uh, next week at their church. And I'd like you to be a part of it. So you're going to do what you just did a moment ago and, okay. and say, um, when I cue you. And Is that uh, why you gave me the dead mic? That's why I gave you the dead mic. And then, um, and, and so Christina will give greetings and I'll give greetings. And then we'll all together... On account, I'll get you to jump up to your feet and just give a happy birthday. They'll pan, pan us today, all right? Pastor Frank Satius and Chris, pastor of Viva Church in Oshawa. Uh, pastor Frank, along with Pastor Russ Conway in Halifax, are the two kind of overseeing voices uh, with Christine and I and our eldership here at Harvest. And so we don't stand alone uh, in our government here. We have voices from the outside. We just adore and love Pastor Frank and Chris. So I just want to say one thing before we continue. Uh, this is live uh-huh. streaming, so he's going to see this. No, he doesn't watch. <laughs> He we'll doesn't. He, he he doesn't watch, and if he does, we just gave it away. So, <laughs> well, I just know if you knew that. All right, where do we go? Okay, so Pastor Frank, happy birthday! Um, I thought you were going to crest over to the big six zero before me. No, I thought I was going to crest over before you, but uh, let me know how it is on that side. <laughs> the other side. The other side. Uh, happy birthday! You're amazing. You're awesome. And um, you know how much we love you. And have the best birthday ever. Pastor Frank, we love you so very much. You are the life of every party. Well, you I make every. Well, you're. All... Yes. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You asked for For it. real, you jump into my birthday greeting? For real? <laughs> you're going to be editing a lot of this. All right. Pastor Frank, we just love you so very much. You are the life of every party, less like Christina. When the two of you are in the room, it's very lively, but we just love you so very much. We honor you today. Happy 60th birthday. Harvest Christian Fellowship, will you help me? Let's wish him happy Happy birthday. birthday. From service one, we love you so much. All right, honey, thank you. Is this the mic I'm going to use? Yes? All right. <laughs> you want to come and help me preach? All right. <laughs> I'm not even going to, I didn't hear it. I'm not even going to ask. All right. I want to start a new series today called Stepping on the Battlefield. Christine and I are not on the battlefield. We're doing fine. Uh, yeah. Stepping on the Battlefield. 
And I want to tell you the story of David and Goliath, a fairly familiar story, even if you're new to the Bible, new to the scriptures this morning. Uh, it is uh, most people have heard about David and Goliath. And if you haven't, you're going to hear about them today. A very famous battle that took place between an intimidating giant and a shepherd boy. A battle uh, that was fought on a battlefield. And the Bible tells us that we, we are in a battle. As Christ followers, we are in a battle. And when we talk about um, spiritual, the spiritual battle that we're in, there's kind of two extremes uh, that kind of people gravitate to. And I'm hoping over the next three weeks just to kind of really have a balance. Uh, I want you to be balanced. I want us to be balanced as we uh, consider all things Scripture. And the two extremes are, first, that everything that happens to you that is negative or horrible or awful is the devil's fault. And, uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, Pastor, I, I just had a terrible week. The devil was attacking me all week. Really? What happened? Well, I got a flat tire. Um, okay. No, that's a nail that came in your tire. That wasn't the devil. Um, he may have utilized the moments of frustration and tried to have you uh, be stressed out on all those things, but I can guarantee you he's busy and he's too busy to stick a nail in your tire. An extreme. The other extreme being that there's no battle at all. And I don't bug the devil. He doesn't bother me. It's all good. I don't think about it. Uh, I'm not aware of it. And so kind of another extreme, and we'll see that really the answer in the scriptural teaching is somewhere uh, in the middle. And uh, I want to give, give that to you over these next three weeks, stepping on the battlefield. Father, we just pray this morning that you'll give us great insight. I believe you've called us in this hour to be a part of the instrument that extends the kingdom here on the earth. Lord, in our personal lives, in the region in which you have us doing church um, and beyond, Lord, that we would learn how to push back the gates of hell, hell so they will not prevail. Lord, you taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, we have a task today, again, for our personal lives and the area around us, Lord, that we would know what it is to step onto the battlefield. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says, Put on God's complete set of armor that's provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight. As you fight. Not if you fight, not even when you fight, but as you fight. There is a warfare that we're involved with against the evil strategies of the accuser. And that word will be important a little bit later in the message. David's a shepherd boy that stepped onto a battlefield. In fact, then he ran onto the battlefield, and then he defeated his enemy on the battlefield. In this series, we're going to learn that stepping on the battlefield is the very first step. And what I want to kind of provoke you to today uh, is not to take guff from the enemy, but to realize that you've been equipped. You have uh, the capacity in Jesus to live victoriously and live an overcoming life to defeat the enemies. In your life, we're going to see that this battle has already been won, and what we're called to do is enforce its boundary lines. 
And uh, next week, we're going to talk about uh, where our confidence lies and why are we confident as we enter into the battlefield. I want to talk to you about the battlefield of your mind. I want to talk to you about the battlefield that we step onto of your possessions, that you would possess joy. You have possessions and finances. You have things that belong to you. You have a legacy that the enemy is going to want to interfere with and that you can take a stand and take authority in the name of Jesus. Some of you, you're allowing the enemy to steal your health, allowing the enemy to take things that don't belong to him. We're going to look at that and see how uh, we can establish our property lines of what belongs to us and say, that, that's as far as you go, enemy, and no more, and the authority that God gives us in that area. The story that we're looking at today is recorded in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel, and it starts in chapter 17. And when we come into chapter 17, we read uh, about a battle that's underway and uh, that uh, is the armies of Israel and the Philistine, their nemesis nation, uh, that they're fighting. They're not actually fighting as we come into chapter 17, but they have, uh, they're standing in battle position. And so on one hillside, Israel, on the other hillside, the Philistines, and in the valley in between, uh, just like in Quebec, the Plains of Abraham, where a famous battle was fought, in the lowlands in between these two, uh, these two ridges or, or mountainous areas uh, was the battlefield that they were to fight in. Now, typically, what would happen when two nations lined up like that to fight? Think of the movie Braveheart for a moment. You'll have, uh, you know, the Scots and the English, two opposing uh, nations that were going to fight. Somebody yells out a battle cry, and the uh, soldiers run down into the valley, into the battlefield. Say battlefield. Into the battlefield, and the front, the front line soldiers clash, and there's hand-to-hand combat, and there's battle until the battle's over, and either one nation retreats, or one nation has been wiped out, and there's a victor. But in this battle, there's a bit of a twist. We have a little something a little different happening as we're reading this story. The Philistines send a representative to parley down, uh, down in the valley. And so uh, that he goes down, and so some kind of a sign that I'm not here to call the battlefield, I'm here to parlay. And we're going to talk about the conditions of our battle, okay? And so Goliath is the representative, and he is one big, intimidating dude. Listen to the description in chapter 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a bronze coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. A lot of bronze, a lot of weight. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with uh, an iron spearhead, that weighed 15 pounds. So we get a sense of his physical strength, uh, just the enormity of who Goliath is, and as well, a look into the weaponry that he has. I mean, to have a spear with a 15-pound spearhead, it's one thing to be able to kind of hold that and balance that. 
it would be a whole nother thing to be able to throw that on target. I mean, I might be able to, I mean, 15 pounds doesn't sound like a lot, but when it's at the end of your spear to balance it, I might be able to drop it. I don't think I could throw it. And just the amount of armor, impenetrable bronze armor that he's wearing, he is just really intimidating in every way, shape, or form. And his parlay is suggesting that they not do conventional warfare, where everybody, the whole team, everybody together, but he's saying, let's do some one-on-one warfare. And I'm calling that there would be an, an Israelite representative that would come down and fight me, winner take all, winner take all. And then he says this, and I want you to see this. This is important uh, in some comparisons today that we're doing as we step onto the battlefield and understand the battle that we're in. After he gives his announcement uh, of, of how he wants to do this unconventional warfare, he says, I defy the armies of Israel today, verse 10. I defy the armies of Israel. Now, he is being antagonistic. So it's kind of like, I dare you. A double dog dare you to come out and fight with me. And there's certainly that aspect about it, but the word I defy is interesting. What he was really saying to the armies of Israel in a very, uh, in a very kind of <laughs> uh, condescending and every other adjective I can think of looking down like they are just dirt under his feet, the word is today, I bring reproach and I heap it on you, and it's going to stick. I put reproach on you, Israel, today. And this word reproach, this I defy you, I put reproach on you, and it's going to stick, literally means I come with accusation, blame, and shame. I come with accusation, blame, and shame. Those words should sound familiar today to Christ followers as we have in any time of our life that you've, you breathe air and you're a Christ follower that you have experienced the voice of the enemy heaping reproach, defying who you are, defying your position, defying that you would say, I'm a Christ follower, that I'm a, I, I'm a king's kid, I'm a child of God, and would defy that and come with a voice either in circumstances or in your own head that would bring accusation, blame, and shame into your life. He would say things like, shame on you for thinking you could break that addiction. Who do you think you are? It's this, this addiction has been on your life for so many years. That anger, that anger issue, you yelled at your kids again? Ha! I can't even, can you believe it? You did it again, and you'll do it again, and again, and again, and again. And you think God's going to forgive you? You think it's just going to be okay? You think that, that life's just going to go, go merrily along? You think you're blessed? You think you're going to be healthy? No. Sickness is coming your way. Accusation, blame, shame. Look at you. Look at you. You think you're a Christian attends Harvest Christian Fellowship. Look at you putting your hands up, worshiping God this morning, when all along, if only they knew. Accusation, blame, and shame. We just read uh, uh, in Ephesians, it's if we fight. This, this giant, this intimidating giant 
uh, puts and tries to put accusation, blame, and shame. He defies Israel that day. Let me talk about, as we read in Ephesians a moment, about, about the accuser and how the enemy does this. And where and when did this battle with the enemy begin? And why in the world do we have to be in it? <laughs> Those are great questions. Uh, and let's try to answer them. Revelation gives us a glimpse, the book, uh, chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, gives us a glimpse into a time that we're not exactly sure when, if it's pre-God uh, um, calling the heavens and earth into existence, if it's shortly after that, uh, but sometime very early in the history of humanity, it says, war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But they were, he was not strong enough, the dragon was. And, and they lost their place in heaven. And Revelation has given us a glimpse into Satan's rebellion in heaven. Satan was the worship-leading angel. He was in charge of all of uh, worship before the throne. There were three leading angels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And they had ranks of angels. And some suggest because there was three that there were three groups of angels in heaven, and one-third of the angels were convinced by Satan when he rebelled in heaven and said, we don't need to worship God anymore. I can be God. I'm going to set up camp. I'm going to be my own guy. Uh, even though Lucifer, Satan, is a created being, lost his mind in pride and rebellion and was cast out of heaven. Now, there was uh, an angelic fight, and some of the angels fought and try to turn over heaven, and Lucifer would win. As we look at that fight, I want you to know it wasn't much of a fight. Uh, uh, the, the scriptures are telling us it happened. Jesus told his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning. <laughs> In other words, he said, it wasn't much of a battle. It was over pretty quick. And when we shot him down to the earth, he went so fast, it was like lightning. And so, uh, even the premise of somehow this like battle, like they're almost even forces. Satan is a created being. God is God. There is no there is no similarity in power whatsoever. But Satan lost his place in heaven because of a rebellion, and he he did fight, and he does fight back. I want you to see that. Like who fights God? Well. Lucifer, apparently, the devil, apparently, because he's just so proud, so arrogant, and, and so full of himself. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth with his angels with him. So the, the, the um, angels that ranked themselves with Satan, once having um, heavenly presence, are now thrown down to the earth, and in the atmosphere of the earth, that's their abode. They're not in hell. Devil and his demons are not in hell. One day, they're going to be cast there at the end of the age, but they're not there right now. They're, the Bible describes them as being in the atmosphere and being present here on earth. They're in spirit form. We can't see them, but we can see their work of evil, uh, that they are leading people astray. So work on the earth, leading people astray, leading people away from the love of God, that, and, and that God could be their solution, and that God could love them. Why would Satan do that? Because he hates God. He's so full of himself, so proud. He doesn't like losing. And so he hates what God loves. 
And so he attacks what God loves. He attacks people. And God has allowed this for a season of time because he wants, as we're going to read, God has a plan where there's a triumphant church in the filled with the Holy Spirit and in the armor of God, and God is going to show Lucifer how puny and how powerless he is and that God would use human beings filled with the Holy Spirit to push back his work, and that's why he's allowed to continue on the, uh, on the earth. And so he's leading people away, leading people from God's love. And the, and the writer, uh, John the Apostle, goes on. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. And so the declaration at e the first Easter when Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. I'm sure Satan thought he had won. Uh, Jesus' blood came out of his body. He was dead. Next week, I'm going to share with you how not only precious that blood is for us in our salvation, but how powerful it is in this warfare. The last thing Satan should have allowed was for Jesus' blood to go into the ground of earth. Because when Jesus' blood went into the ground of earth, th something profound took place, and that's next week. You don't want to miss that. We're going to come back and look at it, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority, say authority, the authority of our Christ. Jesus won it all. When he rose from the grave uh, with his blood in planet earth and was poured out onto planet earth, planet earth now was no longer subject any longer to Satan or his power. Jesus held the uh, keys to the present, to the past, and to the future. The accuser of our brothers, it goes on, and our sisters has been thrown down to the earth. So he is here. He was hurled down to the earth. He's a part of our lives, whether we like that or not. The one who accuses them before God day and night. So he continues his work, and he continues his work even though he ultimately was hurled down to the earth and was destroyed on the earth in his domain. Both, he's lost on both accounts, but he continues to fight. For the accuser of our brother's sister has been thrown out, but he keeps accusing. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. All right, so we're going to defeat Satan. It is part of the plan of God. We have the capacity to do that. We have the ability to do that, but you've got to have the will to do it, to step on to the battlefield, to step onto the battlefield. All right, I want to continue this morning talking about some of the similarities of, the, of, of Israel's giant Goliath and our intimidating foe, the devil. And his words over us, I defy you, I put reproach on you, and his work is to accuse, say accuse, to accuse. Just to literally goop you with his words and his thoughts and his uh, capacity to put blame, shame, and reproach on your life. He wants to keep you weak. He wants to keep you small. He doesn't want you embracing your, uh, God's will for you on the earth. On the earth. Satan can't touch your eternity. He can't touch your eternal life in heaven. He can't take your salvation away from you. But as he taunts you, as he puts reproach on you, it will keep you small. 
It will keep you shrunk back. It will keep you from stepping on the battlefield. It will keep you from pushing him off the territory that rightfully belongs to you. And if he can do that, he's happy about that. He doesn't really care that much that you're going to heaven. He's got a 1,000 or 10,000 or whatever your faith is, numbers of people that he doesn't want you expressing victory and how you're overcoming life and that you can introduce them to the very one. He leads them astray that you can bring them to the very one that loves them and can set them free. But so many of us aren't living in freedom ourselves. We kind of shrink back. We stay small. And so he's accusing, and he'll continue to do that. And when he did it to Israel, these warriors, these hard-bitten soldiers responded this way. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified, dismayed and terrified. For some of you Bible scholars today, you've already made the connection. Wait a minute, I've heard those two words before. When God was teaching warfare to the children of Israel in Joshua, he said, be of good courage, don't be afraid, neither be dismayed or terrified. He uses these very exact words. And I think a lot of Christians are living dismayed, and that means to be shaken. You come on Sunday, you sense the solid ground of God's word as it's being taught. You, you sense the solid ground of God's presence as you experience it. And then you get home, and now it's one-on-one. -on -one. You're not in the company of soldiers. Maybe when you go to group, you sense that solid ground. We're going to get back to group soon, by the way. On solid ground. But when you're one-on-one, -on -one, alone with your thoughts, alone with your failures, alone with circumstances that don't look like you're very victorious, and all of a sudden, the accusations and the defying comes. You begin to feel shaken. You begin to wonder, is this for real? You begin to wonder, is this really, is it, what is victorious life? Because I'm not sure that I've consistently known it. And the enemy begins to shake you. You're dismayed. You begin to become terrified, which simply means impending doom. That, that, that it's going to squeeze in on me at any time. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to get healed, and I'm going to end up sick or worse, dead. Or my finances aren't going to come into, the, into alignment with what God's word says. I'm going to lose my job and lose everything. Impending terror and dread because of a voice that's telling you different than what the voice of God has told you. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. I wish I had time to talk about the significance of that number 40 in the Bible. It just means perpetual pounding on you. It's not, uh, here it's a literal 40 days, but somebody in this room, it feels like it's been 40 years. It's been just 40 forever, where the enemy has just taken his stand, and he's not budging. He's not moving. And I'll tell you, he's not going to budge, and he's not going to move. Israel let him take his stand. Israel allowed him to take a stand. Israel just stood by while Goliath took a stand in their battlefield on their property and he took a stand with all of his intimidation and all of his weaponry and said, I dare you, I double dog dare you, you are weak and you're not able to move me. And they believed him. Until this little shepherd boy <laughs> named David comes down and in the alignment he had, he had kinfolk there that day, his brothers, he was the youngest 
uh, of his family, and he was bringing uh, cheese and bread to his brothers. And, uh, and, and as he's watching the goings-on, he asks some really important questions. It's in verse 26. And David spoke to the man who stood by, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine? So, like, if you went down and took this guy out, what, is there, like, a reward? Like, what, what happens if you do that? Well, David actually knew because the guys had, had talked about it. But David was doing this to kind of say, like, I heard. Did I hear it right? And they began to tell David what would happen to the man who actually would go down and not just face Goliath, kill him. It's one thing to face the enemies. Like when you get thrown into the ring, if you can last one minute with the champion, you get, you know, you get $10,000, but you're going to get pummeled <laughs> and you're probably not going to survive, so you don't go in. But in this case, it was not only to face him, but to defeat him. Say defeat him. Goliath can be defeated because he's already defeated. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I just, if nothing else this morning, this first step on the battlefield is just some of us need to be reminded it's time. It's time. The devil's taken a stand in your life far too long. Your 40 days is over. David began to ask some questions. David said, what happens? And they said, here's what happens. You have access to the king's riches. You will have access to everything that's the king's. It's yours. And then he's got this, oh, and then you never have to pay taxes again. Well, that's kind of cool. I kind of think that one, that one might be good enough in all of its own. You, get, you don't pay taxes ever again. And he's got a beautiful daughter. You marry into the family. You marry into the family. And you'll be a family member forever and ever in the king's line. That's what happens if you will kill the enemy. Well, David knew that, but needed to hear, like, this is, this is awesome. He says, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach, shuts him up, shuts his mouth up. He, it just takes his authority away. Doesn't allow him to take a stand any longer. Some of you don't have access to King Jesus's resources because King Jesus wants you to not, he wants you to take a stand. Ephesians chapter six says, after having done all, to stand. He wants you to stand your ground today. He wants you to stand your ground in your family, in your health, in your finances. Jesus wants you to do that because he already he won the battle. He wants you to see. That's a lot of talk. That's a lot of commotion. He looks intimidating. He's already defeated. And so he says, what happens to the man who shuts him up? You live in freedom. You begin to understand that that voice doesn't have any power over you. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And so that statement without having to explain it this morning, simply means that Israel was under covenant, under covenant. The sign of the covenant for uh, the Jewish nation was that the male, uh, the male children at eight years old were circumcised, cut in the flesh, a forever, a forever reminder that God, we are under covenant, that God has made promise to us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That every promise he has promised with covenant. We're going to look next week at the covenant in Jesus's blood. When you see the blood, that is the strongest statement of covenant. That God was saying that if I don't keep my promise, 
then you can kill me. <laughs> you can't kill God. So that's a pretty good promise. That's money in the bank. The covenant in blood. We're going to look at that next week. For who is this enemy that's outside my covenant? You hear me this morning? The enemy's not inside the covenant. We're inside. We're protected by God's covenant. Say covenant. God's promise, the blood of Jesus. We're going to look at the significance of being under his blood. That when, his, when he died on the cross, we take that, so to speak, and we wash our sins away forever. We don't cover them. It takes your sin away. It takes your failure away. It takes your shame away. Reproach can't stick to you if you understand covenant. David said, wait a minute. He's outside of the covenant. Why are we letting him walking into the territory of covenant? He's uncircumcised. What is he even doing here? And David, a young shepherd boy, says, I'm accessing the king's riches. I'm shutting up the mouth of reproach. I live inside covenant. I'm going to fight this guy. Well, King Saul says, oh, David, that's really nice, but you're too little. This is big boy stuff. You're too little, David, to go out on the battlefield. David, having conversation with King Saul, tells him about a lion and a bear that he killed with his bare hands because the lion and bear had taken his lamb, taken what belonged to him. We'll talk about fighting the lion and the lamb in week three. Well, that's the area of securing your possessions, securing what belongs to you, but not allowing the enemy to take a stand in the middle of your possessions. And so King Saul says, well, you're going to do it. You might as well do it. And David steps onto the battlefield, and he says this to the giant. David said to the Philistine, you come with me with sword, spear, and javelin with blame, with shame, and accusation. And so the weapons he identified, he spotted the weapons. You need to spot the weapons. You need to understand the accuser of, of, of the brothers and sisters. But did Jesus win the battle? Yes. Then why is the devil still here? Because God wants us to kick back the gates of hell. He wants us to prove to the enemy he's not as proud and as arrogant as he thinks he is. And so he uses this little shepherd boy, and Goliath is, man, he's ticked. You come at me with a stick? You come at me with a puny little human being? And he taunts David. Of course, if you know the story, David puts a stone into a sling. He went prepared that day. He went to fight a battle. He, he, he knew. He knew that someone was standing right behind him on that battlefield. He knew someone greater than Goliath, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. Because he goes, you come at me with your weapons, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have gooped today with your accusations, with your blame and shame. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you. I will take your head. I'm going to cut your authority. Your head's off. You're not going to have authority in my life anymore. You have a perceived authority, and I've perceived it. But when I cut your authority off, then I know that I know. When I'm holding your head going, that's all it was? All the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. You see, the stakes are higher than my life and your life. The stakes are higher than my life and your life. The stakes are people around us. 
If we hold back and shrink back and stay small, you go to heal, you go to, we talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our last, in our last series. You go to pray for somebody and the enemy goes, oh yeah, you think, you think God's going to use you, little tiny person? You think you can combat cancer? Oh, that's pretty intimidating. I don't, I don't think so. And we shrink back because we don't understand that we hold the enemy's authority and we hold God's authority. That day, somebody else was on the battlefield with David. Colossians 2.15 tells us that it was Jesus. And ultimately for you and I, it's Jesus. Listen to this. Then Jesus made a public spectacle. This is talking about when Jesus died and the enemy, as, as Jesus' body laid in the tomb, Jesus was in the afterlife. Satan goes, I've got you now. I've got you now. And Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority, all their power to accuse us. And the power, and by the power of the cross, the blood that had gone down into the ground, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was, he was not their prisoner. He was not their prisoner, and neither are you. They were his, and they are ours. I don't know what giant you're facing today. I don't know what circumstances are happening in your life. I don't know what has taken a stand in your life over these last 40 days and maybe last two years of COVID. We may have to make a decision that we're not going to come under this any longer. I mean, circumstances may continue, but that sense of dread and impending doom and that the world's going to be over. It'll never be the same. Oh no, I stand by what God told us as a prophetic word that there's expansion and it's on its way. And God needs some warriors that are going to say, I want expansion in my life. I need expansion in the workplace. I need to breathe. I need, uh, I need expansion. We're going to step on that field. Listen to me now. Come on, we need to access the king's riches like never before. It's not that you that they're not that you can't get them. It's that there's a lie that says that they're right there. Just pick them up and enjoy them. There's a there's an accusation and a blame and a shame that needs to be silenced. Romans 8 as we close with this. No. <laughs> In all these things you are more than conquerors which means you can consistently win. You're more, you don't conquer one battle, you conquer in every battle. Come on, you're more than a conqueror. Maybe you've had moments of victory. How about living in sustained victory? Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, neither height nor depth, neither COVID and all its nonsense, or anything else in all creation will not be able to separate us from the love of God that is in us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. <laughs> I think we got some warriors. Stand to your feet. Let's, let's go ahead and sing this and I'll, I'll give you the... Ask one question before we leave in a moment. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. 
Snow wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down Coming after me there's no shadow no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me No shadow No shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no to lead people astray but he's not so powerful the Bible says that in every person's and I believe this in every person's life there's an opportunity to understand for a moment the love of God and in that moment you have a decision what you will do with it to turn to it and accept it and ask God to come to forgive you for going your own way or to continue journeying away from his love if you're here today and you're saying I I've gone my way long, far too long, and I want to know that kind of love in my life. I'd like to invite you to pray a prayer with me in this very important moment of our service. If you're here today, you've never asked Jesus into your life, never asked him to forgive you of your sin, never received eternal life into your life, today's your day. Today's your day to overcome the enemy for all time, if that's you today you've never done this or it's been a very very long time since you've considered the things of God I'd like to invite you to pray a prayer with me I'll count down from five five four three two and one when I get to one simply put your hand up I'll acknowledge it and we'll pray together a prayer of salvation in five in four 
in three, two, and one. Is there anyone in the room today that would say, Pastor, pray for me? Thank you, Bobby. Is there anyone else today? Anyone else today that would say, I, come on, include me in this prayer. Let's pray together. Harvest, uh, if you raised your hand today, or maybe you didn't, but in your heart, you're like, I, I want this. Let's pray this. Pray this simple prayer from your heart today. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus thank, you thank you that you love me. You found me today. I turn to you. I ask you to forgive my sin. Come in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that simple prayer, we believe you're born again. God loves you so very much. Harvest, I believe that we're coming in some days that we're going to take a stand and we're going to push some things back and we're going to possess all that God has for us. I'm encouraged today. I can sense faith in the room. I sense so many of you are saying, I need, I need to take my stand. As you take a stand, come back next week and week number three, and I will give you, and we'll continue looking at the scriptures, how to practically do this in your life each and every day. God bless you. Uh, go, go in the boldness and in the victory that's yours. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down.